the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This episode of the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. And now, on with the show. Our co-host this week is Christopher O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Before we get on with our guests, Philip and Brockno, I want to talk about field investigation. You know, a lot of people who research UFOs and other paranormal events, they spend most of their time in the armchair. And certainly Charles Fort is the classic armchair investigator, right? Indeed. He basically spent all his time in libraries pretty much checking over books and musty newspaper clippings. Is that a valuable thing to do, or does that do a disservice to research? Well, you can only go so far, Gene, with that kind of uh, research. You know, having done quite a bit of it myself, I've come to the conclusion that media reports by by themselves, you know, aren't oftentimes completely accurate. And I've found, uh, for instance, uh, you know, reading a neat newspaper story about someone's uh, strange experience and then contacting the witness uh, on my own and comparing their actual first-hand, uh, first-person account to what eventually ended up in a newspaper article and and oftentimes there is a a bias on the part of the reporter more times than not let me ask you about that because i have done beat reporting as a broadcast journalist and what i noticed is i'm sitting there i'm with the radio station and then we have the newspaper reporters and you put two people in the same room watching the same event you find two different stories sometimes with different facts Yep, that's true. I've had uh, group sightings with as many as 10, 12 people where there's a slight kind of a slew, uh, which may be personal bias. It may be uh, people not having adequate uh, languaging to perhaps convey details of their experience. Oftentimes the, the, the basic general you know perceptions are the same, but when you get into how long was it, um, exactly the sequence of events, Oftentimes people get confused and switch things around. The one thing that I do find the most variance in is the actual time duration of an event. Uh, some people think it's a lot quicker. Uh, some people think it's a lot, a lot longer. And you have to sort of take an average mean, I guess, between uh, multi-witnessed accounts. And then I think that's the best way to come up with, with the most accurate, I think, um, details of the, of the actual sighting event or whatever type of event that it is. There's this old gimmick they used to do on The Tonight Show. And I think even the show run by the late Steve Allen after he left The Tonight Show, where they have ten people. And a comedian tells a joke to one of the ten people. Each, in turn, repeats that joke to the next person. By the time the tenth person has heard that story, it is totally unrecognizable. Yep, the old game telephone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's why someone like Phil Imbrogno, I think, uh, who we're going to... I'm just absolutely fascinated with, with uh, his work. He's been very instrumental in my process. His first book that I'm aware of, Night Siege, which came out, I believe, in 87... I think I modeled uh, some of my investigative techniques, and his bedside manner, I think, is, is very um, uh, conducive for uh, allowing witnesses to feel comfortable enough to fully divulge the extent of their experiences. And, and reading through his latest book, Files from the Edge, it, it, it just reminds me of the amazing job that he did with Bob Pratt and, in a lesser way, J. Allen Hynek, in terms of investigating the incredible 
amount of activity in the Hudson River Valley in the uh, in the early to mid 80s. Uh, just an absolute amazing investigator, and I'm I've, this is a real treat for me to actually get a chance to talk to Phil. We we've never actually met. I'm really looking forward to this. Well, of course, Phil goes out on the scene. This is one of the things that's a constant if you read the book or read his several books, as I've done, that he actually will do the studies. He'll go into the libraries, he'll go into the newspaper morgues and check the papers, but then he will spend nights, he'll travel all over his area in Connecticut and parts of New York State, and he'll actually spend nights and days trying to investigate something personally. Now, someone like you, where you have honed your investigative skills, what are the things that are most important when doing field research? <laughs> the most important thing is to write everything down. Unless you keep an accurate log of your investigative activities, there's no way that you're going to be able to make any sense of it later on down the road. And that's the first thing that I tell people who want to get involved in my sky watching network in the San Luis Valley or who are interested in getting involved in field investigative work. That is so crucial. You, you really have to write everything down. Yeah, you have to assume a mundane explanation for any and all events that uh, come your way, whether personally experienced or otherwise. I think that that's a mistake that a lot of young up-and-coming investigators make, is they already have pre-conceived you know, notions of what they're dealing with, and they're front-loaded into believing that something is one thing or another thing, when they should let the facts of a particular event sort of steer them in the direction of, of some sort of tentative conclusion or hypothesis. I, I think a lot of people think they've figured it all out, and they're just going out to get the data to prove their conclusions. And so we know there's spaceships, therefore we will apply that theory to everything we see even if it points to another direction yes and and that's that's something that you know i mean is the converse is true as well i mean people who go out uh, <laughs> to debunk this stuff have the same issue which is they've already figured out in their mind there's no such thing as the paranormal or there's no such thing as ufos and if they see something they will bend over backwards to come up with even outlandish explanations to try to explain away something that could be truly high strange well, that's unfortunate on both ends. But then, of course, if you're dealing with something that you can't explain, how do you even know the benchmarks? How do you find the benchmarks to determine whether something is real or some kind of natural phenomenon or a fake? Well, you know, again, it depends on the kind of event. Obviously, uh, you know, your criteria is going to be different for, you know, some sort of ufological event, some sort of aerial object. Or if you're in a haunted house doing some sort of haunted site investigation or whether you're out tramping around looking for uh, Bigfoot. I mean, it depends on, obviously, the type of, of scenario that you find yourself in. But I think everybody really needs to be as objective about uh, investigative work out in the field as possible and really make a concerted effort to factor out all mundane potential explanations before jumping towards the high strange. In my first book, Mysterious Valley, and in my second book, enter the valley, I start the book off with 13 suggested rules of investigation, which are also listed on my, my website. And I put those uh, rules together in the order in which I really 
you know, first got it about a particular axiom. And I think that if you go and look at those 13 rules of investigation, they'll make a lot of sense to someone that's uh, interested in this field, especially if they're interested enough to go out in the field and do field work. Well, certainly the other thing is here, how do you know you're not being fooled, that somebody isn't looking for their 15 minutes of fame, so they invent a UFO or a poltergeist or a strange ball of light in the sky or hooded creatures? Well, again, um, when I first started uh, as a you know an aspiring full-time field investigator back in the early 90s, I was in a very remote location where I had a lot of very down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth, straight shooters, uh, ranchers, uh, farmers, you know, Forest Service people. I did not find that to be the case. I think confabulation tends to um, <laughs> grow in terms of percentage as you get closer to the cities. That's kind of a general rule of thumb that I have. I think rural people, uh, by and large, have nothing to gain by trying to create some sort of hoax. I think it, sometimes they can be uh, mistaken or confused or maybe misinterpret, let's say, natural phenomena, for instance. But I think by and large, my personal experience out in the field, I only had a handful of cases where I felt that the person was was knowingly and actively trying to hoax me. That is not to say that that's, you know, it's going to be the same all over, you know, the country or the world uh, in that regard. I think as time goes on, more and more people... I think are looking for that Andy Warhol in 15 minutes of fame, and it's I think it's it's becoming more of a problem. So we'll get into that in more detail in just a few moments. We'll be talking with Philip J. Imbrogno, author of a number of paranormal books, including his latest Files from the Edge, coming up next on the Paracast. As you know, the PowerCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. With more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers, for listeners of the PowerCast, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One book to consider, for example, is Above Top Secret, the worldwide UFO cover-up by Timothy Good. Timothy Good, as you know, has been a guest on the PowerCast. Yet another book worth considering from Audible.com is Lies and Deception, UFOs and the Secret Agenda, from Timothy Good once again, and also from our old friend Nick Pope. As you know, Nick Pope has also been on the PowerCast. This is another book that you're definitely going to want to check out. For this book or another free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash paracast. Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, August 6, 2010. Gold opened this morning at 1196.20. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1228.28, for a half ounce, or 30707 for the quarter ounce. That's 1228.28, and 30707. Again, the Congressional Budget Office sounds the alarm, warning of Greek-style U.S. debt crises. CBO is drawing a parallel between U.S. economy and the Greek economic meltdown. Debt to GDP climbing to unfamiliar territory and deficits rising to unsupportable levels. Hi, Ted Anderson. The Federal Debt and Risk of Financial Crises document the CBO has published is a must-read for every American. Covering the risks of deficit spending, aging population, and rising interest rates spells economic disaster. 
Call today at 800-686-2237. I'll send it free. Again, call 800-686-2237. Ask for the CBO document. Call 800-686-2237. When you hear the words water purification, what comes to mind? If it's Berkey Water Purification Systems, this message is for you. Did you know that over 60% of municipal water contains fluoride? Add less than two cents per gallon. Berkey water filters purify treated and untreated water, remove dangerous chlorine, fluoride, and contaminants from municipal water. These filters are powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water, making them perfect for rainwater collection systems. From the smallest to the largest systems, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has what you need. With your system purchase, you'll receive a shower filter, a fluoride filter, or two sport Berkey bottles absolutely free. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com would like to offer GCN listeners 5% off all ceramic filter systems and ship all orders over $50 free of charge. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY today. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. It's good stuff. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. Phil Imbrogno joining us this week on the Paracast. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Phil, you've written a number of books on the subject the latest Files from the Edge, subtitled A Paranormal Investigator's Explorations into High Strangeness. So what do we define as high strangeness? You know, high strangeness came from Dr. J. Allen Hynek. And, you know, back in the days when we were investigating ordinary UFO sightings, you know, we encountered cases that were outside of the normal UFO experience, if you can call UFOs normal. And these cases involve, you know, the, the sightings of alien beings, creatures from somewhere else, um, strange types of psychic phenomena associated with the 
sighting, things that were triggered by UFO sightings or UFOs in the area. He just said one day, you know, these cases have, you know, they're really high, they're really strange, you know, high strangeness. So he labeled these cases. And actually, you know, during the investigation of the Hudson Valley sightings, we had loads of high strangeness cases. And uh, Dr. Heineck wouldn't touch him. Okay, well, what were the things that you saw during the Hudson Valley investigation that would be classified as this high strangeness factor? Yeah, well, you know, people were calling saying that um, they had sightings, and later on that night or the following days, they saw these strange entities coming into their bedroom at night, and some of them were claiming that uh, they were on lonely, dark roads, and an object came over their car and there were creatures in the road. They were pulled out of the road by strange creatures. Also, in a number of cases where the UFO was being spotted, people were reporting sort of like large, hairy humanoid creatures, hearing strange sounds, electrostatic phenomenon, uh, people claiming to hear voices in association with the UFO sighting and so on. So these cases were outside the normal UFO report that we were getting at that time. If you can um, call them normal, of course. <laughs> well, you know, if you can call UFO, well, to me, they're normal. I've been around UFOs so long, they're normal to me. You know, back in the 80s, as Alan Hynek said, you know, when we were discussing this, he said, well, and I said, well, this is all just part of the phenomena, even if it's something psychological or if it's something that's happening. It's happening in, in, in a multitude of experiences here. And he just, you know, puffed on his pipe and looked at me, gave me that look, and he said, you know, you cannot give the media this type of case because they'll have a field day with it. It'll make all of the other sightings that we're trying to establish as legitimate look crazy. Is that a bit of a sort of political correctness, though? Yeah, but, you know, that's true. But today, many of these sightings you see, many of these types of encounters would not be considered crazy. Back then, it was hard enough to believe in UFOs, but today, with all the paranormal stuff going on TV and all these reality shows and so on, you know, today, people are more willing to accept it, the general public, rather than to sit back and make fun of it and laugh at it. Yes, but do you think the problem might also be that the media is playing that for entertainment, not for information? I mean, there's no doubt about that. The only reason why UFOs and the paranormal came back being so popular is because all of these experiences are taking place and people are having these experiences and these UFOs are showing up all over the place in front of you know, thousands of people and the media on TV say, hey, you know, the public's interested in this. Let's do a show on it. And I'll tell you, I've worked with many of the producers on these shows. They could give a damn about UFOs or the paranormal. All they want to do, you know, get something out there that they could get sponsored to make a buck. That's even true, of course, just about the day's news. You have 24-7 cable news networks, and the question here is it just to provide information about the latest news or just entertain you? Well, you know, 
that's true. Unless they make it more dramatic, they're not, uh, you know, they're not going to get people to watch it. And this is why they always give you a little taste, a little teaser before the show goes on so you stay tuned. Or if a commercial's coming on, they give you a teaser. You know what and, bothers uh, me most about the teaser, though, is that they'll give you a teaser coming up shortly, a story about this incredible object seen in China or something. And then they go to about four segments, each of which is promoting this particular segment before you actually see it. I mean, that's even worse than bait and switch, huh? Oh, of course. They all do that, and uh, it, it's done right across the board. I'm watching the History Channel right now, and they're doing the show in Ancient Aliens. They're doing the same thing. Yeah. <sighs> how it goes, how it goes. Okay, now, in Files from the Edge, how does this book differ from your previous works? Well, you know, all of my previous works um, have dealt with, they were all orientated or focused more or less around the UFO phenomenon. Over the years, I've collected a number of cases which I just filed away. I mean, files, you know. So the book really deals with other aspects of a paranormal experience uh, other than UFO sightings. Even though UFOs are considered a paranormal experience, you know, many there are many cases that border around it that have come to my attention over the years, and this is where Files of the Edge came, Files from the Edge came from. There are more or less cases that were high strangeness in character that have just been put away in my, in my, my library. Okay, now are these cases that you actually went on the scene to investigate, reports that you dealt with by checking out letters and library information or by telephone calls, how do you separate them? Well, both, you know, uh, all of the above. Um, some cases were investigated by uh, library, you know, and making phone calls. And some of the cases I was out there in person investigating, in person, especially if, occur if it occurs within, let's say, driving distance, you know, I'm not going to pass that up. No matter what you do, you know, talk on the phone or whatever, you're really not going to get a good grasp of the case unless you're uh, in the field doing it and, and talking to the witnesses face-to-face. -face. Does that also help you find evidence of possible deception on the part of some witnesses? Uh, you know, it does. It does. Uh, it's easier to tell deception um, if you're there in person. But, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, if this person is telling you a, a fabrication, what are they trying to achieve here? Yeah, what's and, the motivation? You know, uh, you know, what are they trying, what's the motivation, what are they trying to achieve for themselves? And, you know, in some cases, you know, I've had people saying, you know, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, I think this, this would make a good TV show, or this would make a good chapter in a book, or this would make a so-and-so. One particular individual asked me, you know, he told me a story, and it's a fantastic story, incredible story, and, you know, and you know, you know, and he wanted ten thousand dollars. I'll tell you what, we'll talk about the ten thousand dollars. <laughs> but first, we have to make money for ourselves, a little bit of lunch money. We're talking to Philip Embrockno, author of a number of books, including Files from the Edge. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Okay, neighbors, here's the problem. 
Face-to-face business meetings with clients and colleagues are always going to be important. But business travel is a hassle, and it's often a complete waste of money. Well, here's a solution for you. Do more. Travel less with GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting is an award-winning online meeting service brought to you by Citrix. With just a click, host sales presentations, training sessions, or product demos right from your own desk. Avoid the hassle of traveling and still exceed your sales goals. Plus, GoToMeeting is just $49 a month for unlimited online meetings. Plus, voice over IP and phone conferencing is included. My listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. For this special offer, visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcast. Once again, GoToMeeting free for 45 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcast. How well and how fast does heart and body extract work to improve blood circulation? Listen. My name is Ellis, and I'm 66 years old, and I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Two years ago, I was diagnosed as having clogged arteries. I had 70% blockage in one artery leading to my heart. They wanted me to go on Plavix, but I refused, knowing the negative side effects. Heart and Body Extract is a unique balance, synergy, and proportion of herbs reaching from head to toe at maximum absorption around 95% at the cellular level. Within the first month, I felt a dramatic difference. The heaviness in my legs was reduced, and within two months, I felt completely normal. Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. Heart and Body Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Call 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Remain in your houses. The President of the United States has declared martial law under Executive Order 11004. Will they do it? Will they pull the trigger this time? We all pray they stand down, but an engineered crisis seems more likely with each passing day. Think it can't happen here? Executive Order 10990 locks down all highways. Executive Order 10995 seizes control of all media outlets. Executive Order 10998 controls all farms and food supplies. All these executive orders are now cocked, loaded, and waiting for the right crisis. So if you're worried about the possibility of martial law here in America or have questions about how to survive it, go to MartialLawSurvival.com. That's MartialLawSurvival.com. Go to MartialLawSurvival.com right now. You must remain in your houses until your bracelets are scanned. Question, what would you rather drink, acidic water which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass, or alkaline water which promotes high energy and vibrant health? (laughs) The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to raise the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. 
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. You guys are awesome. I love this station. I really do. GCN. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Philip Imbrogno. He's author of a book called Files from the Edge, a paranormal investigator's explorations into high strangeness. And that's what we get to explore this time. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Chris, you have the floor. Well, I, I, I find it very fascinating that uh, someone should a- actually uh, pump you to, for $10,000 uh, to divulge their story. Uh, that, that, would, <laughs> that would ring uh, Big, ben, uh, Big Ben's bell in my book. Phil, uh, one thing that I, I really want to talk about here, I think, early on in our, in our show here, is, is the wonderful area, the geographic area that uh, you have done most of your, your investigative work in. Uh, and that is the Hudson Valley region uh, going up the tri-state area of, of Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. One thing that I should say before, we, um, before I ask my question, and that is I really do have a sense that there are areas uh, on our planet that seem to be magnets or seem to be doorways or portal areas for um, unusual events, and they seem to cluster around there in a variety and intensity that you don't find elsewhere. The San Luis Valley, where I did 13 years of investigative work in the field, I consider to be one of those areas. I have a suspicion that you also feel that the Hudson Valley region um, is an area, as I'm describing. And if you would tell us uh, uh, your feelings about this and how you've come, how you've come to your conclusions. Uh, yeah, you know, the Hudson Valley area has been rich in folklore for, you know, scores and scores of years, ever since colonial days and pre-colonial days. I mean, you know, in the Catskills, you have stories of gnomes who come from another world into our world every 20, 20, 22 years. And, and also you have all of these legends of beings that occasionally pop in out of nowhere. Recently, there were Bigfoot sightings in the Catskills. And the creatures just disappear. Well, you know, my conclusions at the Hudson Valley are portal areas. It comes from basically from the UFO investigations that I've done. And, uh, you know, back in the 1980s, I really didn't consider, you know, the idea of portals to another reality. There were all of these sightings taking place, and, you know, and, and, and there were so many sightings taking place that I was able to plot them on a map. And I noticed that um, there was a starting point or an emanation point from, uh, you know, a area in Putnam County, and um, it seems that the sightings took place there. The first sightings and the last sighting took place there. And you had this burst uh, of all of this type of paranormal phenomena that was associated with this. And it seems that every time before you have a massive number of UFO sightings, you see paranormal events in an area break out. And when the UFOs disappear, you also see paranormal events break out again. It's if a door is opening and closing like the cold air coming through in the wintertime. But it made me really think about it when Alan Hynek said to me, um, and I asked him, well, you know, what's going on here? Why do we have so many sightings in here? And he said to me, "Um, look for portals. Look for windows. 
he believed that, you know, the UFOs, most of them were from another reality, windows from another reality. And over the years, you know, since that time, um, I've collected enough reports about things going on in this area, in the Hudson Valley area, which is a pretty vast area, by the way, to convince me that, um, you know, this area here actually at times connects with the multidimensional universe and that there are multiple dimensions that open up these portals where entities or beings or UFOs or whatever you want to call them, different types of phenomena enter our world. And it's probably possible for us to enter their world, even though I think these portals are one way. Is this like the TV show Primeval, by the way? The British TV show where they always show creatures leaving and entering some sort of circular portal? Yeah, but you know, you know that's Hollywood and stuff. I don't even know if we could see these portals because they exist in a, in a dimensional state. Um, we have to do they move or, or between? Uh, you know, we have to differentiate between a wormhole and a portal. Okay, portals connect other dimensions to us while wormholes connect other universes, parallel universes to us. And there's two different things here. Wormholes require a considerable amount of energy to create, and portals happen when, you know, the, the space-time sort of thing between the dimensions is bended, sort of like a hose. You know, if you have a hose and you hold it out straight, you know, you're on top of one part of the hose, and that's your dimension. However, if we curve it around, you know, all of a sudden, you know, your dimensional area has changed. So the actual aspect of space may actually bend from time to time, allowing allowing a close-by dimension to merge in with ours. Well, I, I have a question. How, how do you differentiate, uh, or I, that's probably the wrong word, how do you determine uh, where these portals are? Are they consistent? Uh, are they static in terms of their location? Do they move? And, and how do you determine, uh, or what would you say are the, the geophysical um, elements that may somehow come into play here? What you're describing to me sounds like if you take taffy and stretch it, you know, you, uh, holes de develop, and, and, and to me, a portal is, 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 is like a place where the reality gets thin and transparent and, and possibly even breaks and allows for an opening. Um, have you seen any sort of, of location-specific areas uh, that are static, or do these, uh, these portal windowed areas, do they move? Um, what is your thinking on that? I believe that um, um, there are a number of portal areas, let's say, in the Hudson Valley, and that they are active all the time. I think it's almost impossible to predict because we don't know enough about this type of, of phenomenon, which, you know, is, is theoretically possible in, in, in the new physics. Um, what I did is that when after I plotted all the UFO sightings, I noticed that they were centralized and they stretch out over a certain area and so on and so on. But also, you know, I collected these cases of high strangeness. And later on, I took another map and plotted those cases. And they were not spread out over the Hudson Valley, the tri-state area. They were concentrated in particular areas, um, very small areas, less than about a, a half a kilometer, in some cases a kilometer across. And... They were clustered, and 
the, well, the next step, of course, would be to go out there and see what you can find. And every case in the Hudson Valley, um, every time I went out there, I found what was considered, what is still considered now, uh, a, a, a carved standing stone, an ancient stone structure that seemed to mark these areas. Someone was doing it a long time ago. So, you know, the thing is, is that it's almost impossible to locate these portals just by, you know, seeing where UFOs appear, because the UFOs could come out of these portals and travel distances. So I was lucky because I had enough data from investigating all of these reports that were coming to my attention. It's like having your own laboratory-controlled area in your backyard. So I had enough data to actually plot the locations of these areas of high strangeness. Now, we noticed, and I noticed, that there were seven major areas in the Hudson Valley, and they really concentrated around, well, Putnam County, Dutchess County, and Upper Westchester County. There were also cases taking, apart, taking place on the west side of the Hudson. But, you know, this was enough work already. You know, I, I haven't really even dealt with those cases yet on um, the west side of the Hudson in Ellenville and Pine Bush and so on. Um, so we have seven locations here that were clustered with these high strangers. And when we went out to each location, like I said, we found an ancient stone structure, which is a whole different story, which is the product of one of my books called Celtic Mysteries in New England. Um, but these areas were built on intense magnetic anomalies. I'll tell you, we'll get into more of that in a moment here. We have Phil Imbrogno, author of the book Files from the Edge. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then... A coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockwells lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockwells is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully, because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. 
You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry. You worry, but only because you're paying attention. What's happening in the Gulf of Mexico illustrates an audacity toward nature. A similar audacity called GMO, or genetically modified organisms, means that the quality of commercially grown food may be compromised with our health in the balance. Now that summer's here, what better time to learn about the bounty that nature provides in wild edible food? Let author Linda Runyon show you the best-kept secret in plain sight that food is everywhere you look. This summer, for the cost of a good meal or two out, you can literally starvation-proof yourself and your loved ones against any future craziness and put up tons of free food, too. Whatever experiment is being run on us, you can rest assured that Linda's 50 or so staple foods aren't involved. Our foods are their enemy. So go to ofthefield.com or call toll-free 1-888-51-EAT-FREE and take that first step. Make your oasis of food security and nutrition now. That's O-F-T-H-E-F-I-E-L-D dot com or call 1-888-513-2837. Start now and make 2010 your year of independence. There are many types of storable foods, but how about a superfood that contains every nutrient that the human body needs for survival? 50% protein, 300 milligrams of potassium per ounce, and calcium and magnesium for your heart and bones, with many more nutrients found in this incredible food source that the government does not want you to have. This product is available in powder, seeds, and oil, and is shipped free to your door in the U.S. This product is illegal to grow in the U.S., but is legal to import. Don't waste time thinking about storing food. Plan ahead and prepare for yourself and your family now, and be in control of your destiny. You can save and invest your money, but in the end, food will be your greatest asset. Remember what the Word of God says in Ezekiel 7.19. Call 908-691-2608 and see what the powder, seeds, and oil can do for you. Remember, food will be your greatest asset. Call 908-691-2608. This product does not contain THC. Call 908-691-2608 today. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. I'm told that it has everything. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We have Phil Imbrogno, author of Files from the Edge, subtitled A Paranormal Investigator's Explorations into High Strangeness, which is very much what we're discussing. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Now, I had one question here from one of our forum members. We have forum.theparacast.com where we have like 100,000 messages from our listeners. We talk about a variety of subjects. And I posted a thread in there because I wanted people, if they had some questions, to ask you those questions. Here's one of them here, which is, is it possible that electronic interference from a power station surges might cause some kind of magnetic radiation that causes people to be impacted in terms of their brain waves so they perceive things that really aren't there? Hmm. Interesting question because I've heard of this before, and it, it it does seem that you know when human beings go into areas that have intense magnetic anomalies, there is a physiological effect, and you know there is a psychological effect. 
Now, people who I brought into these areas, not even telling them what I found with the magnetometers, not all of them, but the majority of people all of a sudden feel pressure on their head. They start getting a headache. Um, some of them feel nauseous. Some of them start feeling dizzy. You know, these are effects that you've seen over and over again, and it's been documented over and over again in my research. But getting back to these areas, you know, they're... These areas were sitting on magnetic anomalies. And the thing is, is that the exact center of the high strangeness area was not a positive magnetic anomaly. It was surrounded by a positive magnetic anomaly. Okay, so can we possibly consider the suggestion that some of these things are based on a natural phenomenon, the magnetic anomaly, not something that's high strangeness? Well, you know, that's always a possibility with some people reporting certain things. But, you know, if you have, for example, um, people seeing apparitions, people seeing um, um, enormous lighted objects that, you know, come along the road, spook-like sort of phenomena, I mean, you know, you have to consider that it's, it's seen over and over again by multiple witnesses that are independent of each other also. You know, whether or not it's some natural phenomena, yeah, it's a natural phenomenon. If it's from another dimension, it's a natural phenomenon. I mean, you know, but one of the things that people have a tendency to do when they when they relate a paranormal experience, they associate it with the supernatural. I just think we're looking at certain things in science and forces and so on that uh, we don't fully understand yet. So, you know, we do a lot of hocus-pocus about it. Do you see a parallel um, between the close proximity of, let's say, maximum magnetic field strength in close proximity to minimum intensity field strength? I definitely did in the San Luis Valley. Yes, and, and this is what I'm trying to point out to, you know, certain people that I'm researching with, they don't understand, is that you have this high magnetic anomaly that practically goes off the chart, and then um, in the center there, it drops down into these locations where there's a negative magnetic anomaly going well below the actual normal reading of the Earth's magnetic field there. And there's a, there's a geological answer for that up here, is that most of the areas where these high strangeness things occur are sitting on top of enormous deposits of quartzite and magnetite. I mean, so this is why you have the anomaly. So we know that the anomaly is causing something there, and it possibly could be causing, at times, the spending of space allowing these portals to exist and this phenomenon to enter our world. Okay, you know, the skeptic would drop in here, the skeptical viewpoint, and we want to address this because we should, would suggest, okay, if you have magnetic anomalies, maybe this is all caused by illusions. Where's the evidence that it's something more than just an illusion, people seeing things? Well, illusions can't be photographed or videotaped or or so on and so on and, and registered. Or leave physical trace evidence. Right, and you know, so, but there are certain things that take place at these locations that do have, seem to have a psychic effect which can't be measured. So the thing you have to answer to yourself or find out is that is just self induced because, you know, the brain is misfiring because of the magnetic fields, people seeing visions, for example, or hearing voices. 
So what you have to do is you have to take into account that it does happen over and over again. And, you know, and basically, you know, people are reporting the same thing, even though I do think that some of it's over-exaggerated. What interests me is the reports that you run where someone encounters something really strange at one location and it seems to follow them, which obviously takes them out of this so-called portal area. And that becomes more and more intriguing and frightening. Can you mention one or two cases quickly enough to see how this is expressed in terms of being followed by the phenomena? Yeah, well, you know, people who go out in the area and they have experiences, they have these close encounters, they have these um, encounters with these um, hooded, little hooded beings and so on, or light phenomena. Um, after they have their experience, they seem to have experiences over and over again, as if it follows them home or it follows them to their house. Hitchhikers. And it starts appearing. Yeah, or you know, maybe it's whatever it is. It sounds like it's an intelligence, uh, something, you know, and it's fascinated with the human being. So it's following them home and attached themselves to them. But this has happened over and over again. Um, and uh, uh, what's behind it, I don't know. I mean, some people who have never had an experience, a UFO, a paranormal experience. They want to go out to these areas, for example, and, 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 you know, see something. This is what they want to do. And they do see something, and they get terrified, and they continue to have experiences after that, not in the area where they originally had the sighting or the encounter, but they start seeing things in their home also. Well, do you see a correlation between their emotional state? You mentioned they were terrified. Now, do you see... Do you see some sort of correlation between people who have what they perceive as a negative or a frightening experience, uh, more prone to uh, picking up some sort of hitchhiker <laughs> and bringing them home? Or is this, is this uh, just something that doesn't have any rhyme or reason to it? You know, it really doesn't have any rhyme or reason. I guess it depends upon the individual and how you, as you look at it. Yeah, some people, you know, to them, this is something you read about on TV. This is something you read about in the book. It's not a reality until you have an experience for themselves. And then it becomes very real to you, and all of a sudden their view of reality changed. So the thing you have to ask yourself, did the encounters that took place later on are they real or are they just created after having a paranormal experience? Um, um, you know, we really don't know. I mean, there were a number of places where um, um, houses were being, you know, people who live in a house uh, were having all this phenomena taking place. They went out to an area, they had a sighting, and they had an encounter with some strange being, and all of a sudden starts appearing in their house with them. And of course, you know, a number of cases I went out there to the house and didn't see anything. And But um, when I leave, I get a call saying, you know, it happened again. And of course, you have to consider that whatever and whoever is there is not going to put on a show for me. But um, it seems to be selective to certain individuals um, after that. Sounds like the trickster to me. Big time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which kind of leads me to, uh, to an another question here. You have a short mention here in Files from the Edge about uh, the trickster who you actually name as a potential uh, force or, or element here. Um, most of the time when you read books uh, by Keel or Valet, some of the phenomenal events are described as trickster-ish, but uh, very rarely have I seen somebody actually 
finger the trickster as being a potential, you know, element in in a case or or in a series of cases. What what are your feelings about uh, potential collective manifestation um, that could be described uh, archetypally as a trickster figure? Well, you know, um, in the area up here. The idea of the trickster goes back to Native Americans hundreds of years ago. Certain areas were up here that we're seeing UFOs today, and people are seeing alien beings, people are seeing creatures and so on. These are particular areas, these high strangeness areas. Some of them were once Native American sacred ground, which they said was the home of a trickster. And, um, you know, we see this element over and over again in the paranormal. And um, if you have to consider that if all of these other dimensions exist, a close-by dimension to us, another reality, as Dr. Heineck used to say, in that other reality, there may be intelligent beings that have been interacting with the human race for who knows how long. I'll tell you what, we'll get into these other dimensions in our next segment. We have Philip Embrogno, author of Files from the Edge. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Phil Ambrogno, author of Files from the Edge. A paranormal investigator's explorations into high strangeness, and we're dealing with that right now. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Before we split for that particular pause in our action here, Phil, we were talking about the impact of other dimensions, but at the beginning of your book, you have kind of a short science lecture about what other dimensions signify. Maybe give our listeners kind of a brief summary of this before Chris picks up on the questioning? Okay, well, you know, what we call theoretical physics today was science fiction a few years ago. I mean, this is nothing new. Science fiction writers were telling us that there were these other dimensions, other parallel universes before they started showing up in the equations of the theoretical physicists. And really, in a nutshell, you know, there's many different views of the universe. 
And the first thing we have is we have a parallel universe. And a parallel universe is, uh, our universe is all the galaxies and everything contained and sort of like a bubble. There are other universes out there with enough matter that also curve it around and make these bubbles. Imagine smoke, uh, 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 soap bubbles. And some of these bubbles sometimes stick together as you blow the bubbles. These bubbles that are joined to each other are parallel universes, and at times they're connected through wormholes. Now, in each of these bubble universes, in each one of them, there are at least 11 dimensions. In other words, we're in the third dimension here, but they're telling us now there are other dimensions within the physical universe. These aren't areas where spirits live or, you know, all this, you know, stuff here that people are talking about in the psychic realm. These are actual physical spaces, physical worlds, physical places that exist in the same area, but sort of like in another angle from us, an angle that we can't turn to. When you walk around in your room, you're walking along three-dimensional space, but in that room also are other dimensions which you cannot turn to because you're locked in to your own physical, spatial area. But these other areas exist at a right angle to a right angle, maybe, an area that you can't see, you can't turn to walk into. So imagine that the multiverse, there's no privacy in the multiverse because in that room there could be a multitude of beings in other dimensions. Maybe they can perceive you, maybe they can't. But at times it sounds like they do visit people. <laughs> oh, boy. That, that would make yeah, uh, the average paranoid person. Close off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, we could have multidimensional peeping toms all over the place. Well, that, uh, that could be the case. <laughs> because, you know, if you talk about shadow people, these people seeing these images yeah. coming in at night, to me, these represent other dimensional beings pressing against the fabric of the dimension, which they seem to have the ability. We only see them as vague shadows. Now, imagine uh, a sheet hanging out there on a line that's pulled very tight. If a person gets on the other side of the sheet and presses up against the sheet, you only see the outline of the person. You can't see who it is or their facial features. These cases of shadow people, which I've investigated quite a few, I have quite a few reports in the Hudson Valley, they seem to be dimensional beings that are interested in certain people and watching them, observing them, for whatever reason, I don't know, but we only see their images point pressing up against the dimensional barrier, their silhouette, their outline. Right. Well, I want to remind our, our listeners here that we're not, uh, you know, we're talking with someone that has advanced degrees in neurosciences, astronomy, and chemistry. So I, I do take your thumbnail sketch of uh, of the multiverse scenario. I do take it as an informed opinion, and uh, and I do um, I do agree with you in 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 this regard. One of the things that I noticed reading the book is. Uh, you mentioned some very interesting scenarios that involved underground cavern systems and uh, mines that uh, existed uh, back in the 1800s that, that secretly have been expanded by 
by what appears to be some sort of governmental uh, presence. Uh, do you want to go into that a little bit? I, I know you've had some pretty interesting investigations uh, that have to do with uh, some of the underground scenario there in the area. Oh, yeah, you know, and uh, I, I actually get into that in greater detail. I have a book coming out in December called Ultra-Terrestrial Contacts, and uh, I get into the underground tunnels in greater detail. But in um, several of these areas in the Hudson Valley um, where these magnetic anomalies exist, are the areas are catacombed by underground tunnels. And these tunnels were originally used during colonial times going into the 19th century for mining out iron ore. As a result, many legends have been built around them. I mean, the folklore around these tunnels is unbelievable that date back to the, the early uh, 19th century and late 18th century about globes of light, strange hooded beings. We know for a fact that uh, at the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, um, one, a, a group of local devil worshippers actually took one of these tunnels and used to perform rituals in them. And according to what I can find out in the local archives here is that the local sheriff at the time, and back then that area, Putnam County, Brewster, New York, Southeast New York, only had a sheriff. They have a sheriff today, but it's involved police. They actually said they dealt with them, and there's no more mention of them. It's almost, you know, it seems like, you know, a, a hanging was done or something because they were accused of... Uh, for a number of children who disappeared over the years in that area, even though there was no evidence. But the thing is, is that these people used to dress up with hoods, and we don't exactly know how many of them there were, but in that area, and no one knows of this, this is like one of the best kept secrets in that area. People have gone out to those areas where the mines are and where all of these UFOs are being spotted and the magnetic anomalies occur and have seen hooded beings on the road that bear a striking resemblance to the way these cultists used to dress up back in like 1901. Now, the thing is, is that all of these underground passages exist. Most of them have been sealed up. And the strange thing is, is that downtown Brewster, it's being built up. It's, it's a growing town. People are moving in there. The old residents have disappeared practically. But a lot of people who bought those old houses don't realize that their basement connects to an underground tunnel and a network of tunnels underground. These people have no idea that right under the town, it's catacombed by underground passages. Now, I've explored all of them. In one particular instance, in, a, in one of the entrances to the tunnels, it's flooded with water, and I had to raft in the tunnels. And this is where all of this phenomena is taking place and everything. And I'll tell you, it's pretty spooky down there because the levels go down to 300 feet. But as I put the raft in and I'm slowly going down the tunnel, the water is red from the iron ore, so it looked pretty eerie when the lights reflected on it. As soon as I go down a tunnel area, I come to a writing on the wall that says, Abandon hope, all ye who enter, you're oh, on boy. the way to hell. <laughs> this was evidence to me where these cultists were using the part of this mine for their rituals. 
So not only did I find the evidence that these people existed and they did their thing back in 1901, I actually found the area where they were doing the rituals and the water level was right up to the writing. So it was written when there was no water in that particular part of the tunnel. And I'll tell you, in there, before I went in there, I went down to New York City and I found a, a, a map, an overlay of all the tunnels that were dug there back in the mining days from 1780 all the way up to 1902. I'll tell you what, we'll get into more of that in a moment. Phil Ambrogno joining us. Chris O'Brien is our co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, August 6, 2010. Gold opened this morning at 1196.20. A one-ounce gold coin can be purchased for 12.2828, for a half ounce, or 307.07 for the quarter ounce. That's 12.2828, and 307.07. Again, the Congressional Budget Office sounds the alarm, warning of Greek-style U.S. debt crises. CBO is drawing a parallel between U.S. economy and the Greek economic meltdown. Debt to GDP climbing to unfamiliar territory and deficits rising to unsupportable levels. Hi, Ted Anderson. The Federal Debt and Risk of Financial Crises document the CBO has published is a must-read for every American. Covering the risks of deficit spending, aging population, and rising interest rates spells economic disaster. Call today at 800-686-2237. I'll send it free. Again, call 800-686-2237. Ask for the CBO document. Call 800-686-2237. Where have all the military surplus stores gone? Don't worry, you don't need one. Because everything you need at Military Surplus is at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com, one of the last surviving true military surplus stores in the country. Go online now to MainMilitary.com and discover a source for hard-to-find surplus items at true surplus prices. Surplus gun cleaning kits as low as $2.99. Complete chemical suits as low as $11.99. See our huge selection of gas masks, filters, and accessories. Finish it. M10 gas masks are three for thirty dollars, and Swiss filters are three for twelve dollars. Searching for strike anywhere matches? MainMilitary.com has them, plus a whole new product line of survival and first aid kits, and lots more. Get free shipping on orders over fifty dollars only at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com, or call eight seven seven six zero eight zero one seven nine eight seven seven six zero eight zero one seven nine. MainMilitary.com, the main name in military supply. When you hear the words water purification, what comes to mind? 
If it's Berkey Water Purification Systems, this message is for you. Did you know that over 60% of municipal water contains fluoride? Add less than 2 cents per gallon. Berkey Water Filters purify treated and untreated water. Remove dangerous chlorine, fluoride, and contaminants from municipal water. These filters are powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water, making them perfect for rainwater collection systems. From the smallest to the largest systems, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has what you need. With your system purchase, you'll receive a shower filter, a fluoride filter, or two sport Berkey bottles absolutely free. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com would like to offer GCN listeners 5% off all ceramic filter systems and ship all orders over $50 free of charge. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY today. On air, online, and on demand. They say we offer simple answers to complex problems. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out on iTunes. All right, we have Phil Imbrogno. He's author of Files from the Edge, a paranormal investigator's explorations into high strangeness. Chris O'Brien is our co-host this week. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Now, one question occurs to me as you talk about these tunnels, these caverns used for various types of rituals. Is it possible they're still doing that nowadays in the 21st century? Uh, I, I, I think it's very possible, I, but I don't think that the mines themselves, the tunnels, are being used because you really have to understand how difficult they are to get into. Number one, because they're flooded with water. Number two is that in one particular area, you have to repel down 150 feet to get to the lower level, and the amount of oxygen down there is very, very low. When I explored these things, I was a little younger than I am now, and I was in considerably better shape, but it was even difficult for me to explore these things. So I don't see anyone going in there today. But uh, the thing is, is that, as I said, I had a map of all the tunnels from the New York uh, City Public Library, the mining journals. I found tunnels that were not on that map that was listed for 1910, and these tunnels were dug with more modern equipment. And some of them went to dead ends, and they were collapsed on purpose and covered. In one particular area... I saw evidence of conduits going into the ground, obviously bringing in oxygen or, or water, whatever, but going down to that level was impossible because it was 300 feet down and it was flooded with water. So people have been reporting military vehicles going into the areas of the hills where the mine entrances are, have seen Chinook-type helicopters and other types of helicopters landing in the hills, and one person, a number of people, actually wrote to the New York Post saying 
that what's going on up in Brewster in Southeast, there's some type of military operation going on underground. And this occurs to me as you talk about this. There's a section in the book where you go down to explore an area, and you were basically accosted by the police and warned not to go there? Yeah, so before I went into the mines, I was trying to find the location of some of these places which people were contacting me saying there are military vehicles going into the area. So I parked my car and I started walking up to an area called Upper Magnetic Mine Road. And it was blocked off and I saw there was definitely a path going up there. Before I even got 150 or 200 feet up the hill, the Sheriff's Department came up and yelled to me and the officer was running up the thing saying, stop. And he's saying, you know, you can't go up there. That's, you know, secured area. And he really didn't know why. He was just getting orders just to get me out of there. And they actually took me out the Route 22 and made sure that I left. But actually, I came back sometime later, came in through the backwoods, and actually observed the area and actually saw what I thought were paramilitary or or uh, intelligence agency people coming up there, staying inside a house that connected to the mines. Why did you think, Phil, that these were paramilitary or intelligence people? Well, first of all, they came up in a Jeep, and I looked at the license plates. I was up on the hill, and I had binoculars, and although I could not see the license plates number, they had the white with the blue which indicated the, the government uh, license plate number, uh, license plate color. And looking at these people, I can just tell, look at them. They almost look like cops, you know, and you can say you're going to tell a, a cop, but he's in civilian clothes because they dress the, with a certain way. People in the intelligence organizations also have certain types of haircuts. They have a certain type of look, and they have a certain type of posture for them. They were obviously people with military background who could have been in civilian intelligence agencies. And having been in the military six years myself, I can spot military people right away or people who are in the military for a certain length of time. They have a certain bearing to them. But they also, you know, had a number of dogs there. They had a number of buildings there. Later on, when I was able to get into that area, obviously after whoever was in that area, after they pulled out, I found the house which these individuals were coming in and out of. And it was completely, completely dumped with everything ripped out. I found poles with wires connecting there for about 50 kilowatts of energy coming, electricity coming into that area. I found garages with all types of equipment in there that was obviously some type of mechanical operation. So there was somebody in that area there that had a pretty, pretty involved operation going on there. And since that location was right next to the entrance of the underground passageways, you know, you put two and two together. Does it seem, though, rather clumsy of them to abandon this area and leave evidence that they were around? Well, they didn't leave that much evidence. You really had to look for it and analyze the situation there to find out what type of operation was going on there. Whatever type of operation was going on there, it involved a lot of power. 
and it involved a lot of support equipment and um and when they left they trashed as about as much as they could and they just pulled out so uh whatever was going on there you know i don't know but it definitely had something to do with the underground passageways now a little bit of a frightening thing is that when I finally was able to get into the underground passageways and I repelled down and I was taking pictures with my camera, which was film camera at the time, after I took the number of pictures at, the, I think, the 175 to 200-foot level, the passages down there, there's three um, rows of passages. One underground passages are down about a little about 125 feet. Another one's about 175 feet, and the bottom one's down at 300 feet, which you can't get to because it's flooded. Anyway, when I developed my pictures, the entire roll was fog green. So you know mm. what that means. That means it was exposed to radiation. Radiation, yeah. My feeling was is that perhaps the United States government was taking nuclear waste, nuclear waste, or atomic waste, or radioactive waste, and burying it under the ground, under the iron, because they knew the radiation would not reach the surface. And they probably didn't think that some idiot like me is going to be going down there taking pictures and looking for something, looking for aliens or something. You know, I wonder uh, about that. I wonder about that, Phil. Okay, you know, the joke here, you know, they don't expect an idiot like you to be looking for this stuff. Is it possible at all that they do know about you, that they're watching you? Have you seen the evidence of all the books you've written and the research you've done that the military is looking at what Phil Imbrogno is doing and trying to either observe your behavior or maybe interfere with it. But before we have you answer that question, Phil Imbrogno joins us. He's author of Files from the Edge. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Powercast. As you know, the PowerCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. With more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers, for listeners of the PowerCast, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One book to consider, for example, is Above Top Secret, the worldwide UFO cover-up by Timothy Good. Timothy Good, as you know, has been a guest on the PowerCast. Yet another book worth considering from Audible.com is Lies and Deception, UFOs and the Secret Agenda, from Timothy Good once again, and also from our old friend Nick Pope. As you know, Nick Pope has also been on the PowerCast. This is another book that you're definitely going to want to check out. For this book or another free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash PowerCast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash PowerCast. Thousands of Americans are facing evacuation. If you or any of your loved ones might need to evacuate, you must do it yourselves. Please don't procrastinate until they do it for you. Remember the terrible conditions of those that didn't get out for Katrina. Go right now to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex or call 800-409-5633 for information on the new evacuation pack. 
It contains two weeks of delicious, easy-to-fix food, along with the equipment to prepare it. It's packed in a rugged, heavy-duty tote for transport. Evacuations are looming with the storms and the Gulf oil catastrophe. No matter where you live, wildfires, earthquakes, floods, and storms must be escaped. Don't be like a deer frozen in the headlights of oncoming disaster. At least prepare yourself with this two-week evacuation pack from eFoodsDirect.com. Call 800-409-5633 on the web, eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 800- Three four six six eight two nine. That's eight hundred three four. No tax. How do you spell hard hitting talk radio? G C N. The Genesis Communications Radio Network. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the paradise. Phil Imbrogno, who's going to answer the cliffhanger question in a moment. He's author of Files from the Edge. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Paracast. The question on the table, Phil, they aware of your activities? Are they watching you? Have you seen evidence of their presence? No, I don't think anybody's watching me. I believe that at the time that I was poking around these underground passages that um, I was on camera, and and probably if I went back there within a reasonable amount of time, I probably would have been arrested. The only time that I really had any type of government interference was during the Hudson Valley 
investigation. And during that time, I was, contact I was contacted by the Air Force in relation to the sightings. The first civilian to be officially contacted by the United States Air Force since 1969. Also, you know, I was contacted by a, a member of the National Security Agency regarding the sightings. My involvement with the investigation of the UFOs over the Indian Point nuclear reactor also caused quite a bit of problems for me because um, it's a secure area and I was barraged by all kinds of letters and all kinds of phone calls and threats of, of criminal action from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and um, even the, the office of the governor of New York. Well, on what the, grounds, though, The attorney though? of New York. And on what so grounds? On, on the grounds that I was told things by the guards that were involved in protection of the plant, who, by the way, aren't rent-a-cops. They're all ex-military, ex-New York State police officers, highly trained, that they told me things that was vital to the security of the plant. This is what they used to try to get me to shut up, to keep quiet. They even called my school and told my supervisor, the head of the school, that I was involved in an area of national security and that there were possible actions being taken against me and they were trying to get them at that level to shut me up also. So this is why when anyone comes forward to me and says, you know, they've got all these secret documents, they have all this information from the government and so on, and they, you know, and, they, and nobody's bothering them. I just tapped into an area of national security, the reactor, the sightings over the reactor, and I got my ears pinned back right away. By the way, you know, the spokesman at the reactor finally admitted that they had sightings over there, and uh, but they claimed that it no way affected the plant, which is not true. Um, but I think they were more or less concerned about bad publicity because, a little funny side of the story, after the sightings over the reactor area, uh, about six months later when it all finally came out and hit the fan, a number of anti-nuke activists who were always trying to shut down the plant had a rally outside the plant with over a thousand people and they were handing out copies of Night Siege and <laughs> Great. now listen to this the section where the chapter called Incident at Indian Point where it talks about the sightings of the UFO over the reactor that was um sort of like bookmarked, and they were saying, how can we expect these police officers to guard this plant from terrorists and so on? They're, they're seeing flying saucers. <laughs> so they try to use that to also shut down the plant. And that caused me quite a bit of problems. <laughs> Uh, I, I've got a question. Uh, it it kind of dovetails with one of the questions from the Paracast Forum. One of the things that you don't hear much about when uh, the discussion of the Hudson Valley events from the 80s comes up is the cattle mutilation phenomenon. Uh, I understand uh, that you did quite a bit of, of, of work to, trying to dig into ascertain the extent of, of these mutilation cases. 
Uh, and plus, there's an interesting little side note about uh, the possibility of the government actually flying in livestock to potentially, I, I guess, replace livestock that had been mutilated. Could you uh, talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, after the UFO sightings and during the UFO sightings, there were uh, multiple sheep mutilations and cattle mutilations in the area. And one of the things I found out during my investigation, I mean, this is very lengthy to talk for the next three hours on it, um, is that uh, I found, through investigation, a secure area at Stewart Airfield, uh, which is uh, a part of an airport now, but there was an area off to the side that was fenced off with uh, security thing, you know, the typical sign that says no trespassing, government installation, and so on. That area there was an old sack field where they used to put the planes underground, and when they wanted to launch the B-52s, they would come up and they would kind of hide them under the ground. Anyway, I noticed that the airfield there was not closed down, that it was actually being well kept, and that watching there for a while, um, I'm watching C-5As land on that field. And what are they bringing in? What's going on here? Well, I did a um, Freedom of Information Act a uh, number of times and got nothing. Finally, make a very long story short, I found evidence through documents and through phone calls of connecting with a person at the field who actually talked uh, about large shipments of cattle coming in on the And I tried to get a lot of verification on this. I found out that part of the agency that was operating out of that area was the United States Department of Agriculture. And they were shipping in large numbers of cattle on C-5As into that field being taken out and taken to areas that this person didn't know. And I found, I've got documents on it. All the documentation I could not, I was not able to obtain because they kept on leading me around and delaying things. And when I finally got them to admit that the documentation existed, they said that they only keep their documents for a certain length of time and then they shred them, which they did. So the next thing I did with uh, Bob Pratt, who was um, the late Bob Pratt, who was, you know, alive uh, then, we went out to the area, and I showed him the area, and I said, Bob, I'm going to go in there and find out what's going on. He says, you're going to get arrested. I said, well, then we'll know what's going on, right? And he was, like, all upset. No, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. So I ended up, you know, climbing the fence and going in, and as soon as I got within about 20 feet down the road, a military police came up, and they brought me into an area, and... Uh, they questioned me for about an hour, and Bob was waiting outside, and they let me go. You know, after that, you know, you're I incorrigible, mean, aren't you? You're incorrigible that you keep doing this. You keep <laughs> hey, wanting to follow the military. On this. But the, the but the amazing thing was is that when I was in this debriefing room, 
uh, two plainclothesmen came in with a file and they had a file on everything about me. They, had, they were going over who I was and what I did and so on and so on. And they were saying, you know, there's the National Security Act and so on and so on. And finally, you know, they just let me go and they said, if you come back again, we'll have criminal charges against you. And of course, I did not go back trespassing. But I remember going out there and Bob Pratt pacing back and forth. He was like... He, he, he was very upset because he knew that this was a secure area and that I was going to get in trouble. The ever-curious Phil Imbrogno joining us this week, our <laughs> co-host, before he gets arrested for national security violations, our co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack. Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Question, what would you rather drink? Acidic water, which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass? Or alkaline water, which promotes high energy and vibrant health? The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to Raise the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. 
all types of batteries for all types of gadgets. We'll say it again. All types of batteries for all types of gadgets. Electronics, toys, flashlights, computers, accessories, and more are at BatteryStation.com. Whatever type battery you need, alkaline, lithium, gel cell, NICAT, metal hydride, sealed lead acid, and more are at BatteryStation.com. Our homepage gives you quick access to ham, marine, police, fire, and aviation batteries. Plus, choose from our great selection of LED flashlights with no bulb to ever burn out and much longer battery life. Find many top brands, including Streamlight, Pelican, Surefire, Novatac, Gerber, and more at BatteryStation.com. You'll also find the most popular brands of ammunition and watertight cases for storing guns, food, electronics, survival gear, and more at BatteryStation.com. Call 417-257-7799. That's 417-257-7799. You will be surprised when you visit BatteryStation.com. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. I just want to hear more of it. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Phil Imbrogno, author of Files from the Edge, who takes matters into his own hands with on-site research, even if the military is present, he's there, maybe he wants to become the next James Bond, if they ever make another movie about it. <laughs> Our well, somebody Chris... called me the uh, James Bond of the paranormal. <laughs> the co-host is Chris O'Brien, I'm Gene Steinberger in the Powercast. Okay, so Mr. Bond. James Bond. <laughs> Or is it Bond, James Bond? <laughs> I can't do that very well. People say I do lousy imitations of everything. I even do a lousy imitation of myself. <laughs> what I find interesting about this whole scenario is they were flying uh, C-5, one of the largest planes uh, humans have ever, ever, ever built, flying cattle into a secure area. What's wrong with that picture? They had C5A galaxies. And, you know, these C5As were secretly going into that area, so no one really knew they were flying over the area. Now, the funny part about this is that they would take the flight path that would lead them over Pine Bush, New York, and all of these people would go out to Pine Bush and look at these C5As coming in, landing in the Stewart, and think they were giant UFOs. And the late Ellen Crystal had them on videotape trying to convince me that they were giant UFOs. And I told her they were C-5As landing at Stewart. And what did Ellen think of that? I knew her. You know what? She was also a fan of Star Trek, I remember. she go to these Star Trek conventions in the 1970s. That's where I first encountered her. But, okay, so when you told her, hey, it's a C-5, what did she say? Well, she didn't want to accept it. She told me that uh, UFOs can take the shape of planes and that uh, this is what I said. Then what's the difference of, you know, videotaping it anyway? Planes can be UFOs and UFOs could be planes. No difference. And I had all the, you know, the information, the documents, because I saw these C-5As coming and landing, and I saw them at their flight path coming over the Pine Bush area. And all of these people would run out the Pine Bush, go in this one particular area, see these C-5s coming over, and videotaping them, all thinking they're, they're these giant UFOs that are landing in the area in Pine Bush when they were going more than the C-5As. But the thing is, is that... But what were the C-5As bringing in? Yes, the C-5As were also, they were bringing in large shipments of cattle. Now, I want to ask you here, okay, because we're hearing about the cattle. 
Why? Do they want to start a local farm? <laughs> I don't know. But the thing is, is that the area there was operated by the CIA, the Department of the Navy, and the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA. And the USDA was there because the cattle was coming in. Uh, where they were going to, well, during my investigation is that they were being shipped out from there in trucks to various locations unknown. I don't know where, why the cattle was coming in. But the thing is, is that once again, we connect an area that has a great number of UFO sightings with, you know, cattle and mutilations and so on. I don't know. The aliens like beef? I don't know. Lip and eyes stew. <laughs> What did Bruce Cornett uh, think? I know he was up at Pine, Pine Bush uh, working with Ellen at the time. Of course, uh, Dr. Bruce Cornett went on to be the last uh, manager, I think, of the of NIDS. Go figure that one out. Uh, what did Bruce think about uh, about your explanation of what they were seeing out there? Because I know he was one of the ones that was running out there with Ellen. Uh, yeah, well, you know, Bruce and I hung out a number of times, and... Uh... He was convinced that they're, they're all UFOs and stuff like oh my. that. And he had a number of pictures, you know, of these things and time exposures moving across the sky. And, you know, with all due respect to Bruce, you know, um, you know I always felt that, you know, they were planes and, and the camera was shaking and so on. But, you know, you couldn't tell him that. And, and you know, and, and, and he believed that he saw something incredibly strange there. And, you know, that's his opinion. But a, I believe that a good percentage of those sightings out in that area were the C-5As coming into Stewart. Well, since we're on the mutilation subject, uh, another thing that, uh, again, you don't hear much about when it comes to this, uh, one of the most amazing UFO waves, I think, uh, in, in the modern era of UFOs, one element that you don't hear much about is uh, rumors of human mutilations uh, that may have been investigated by authorities in the area. Do you care to comment on that? Yes, and I know where you're going with that because it stems out that along um, the Taconic Parkway and Putnam Valley during the sightings, there were a number of uh, people um, that were murdered for a practical world that were mutilated. Not to mention of thousands of kids that disappeared. And, and this led to um, a number of uh, different stories being proposed by residents in the area that there was some type of crazed killer out in Fonstock Park. And, uh, but the sighting, the, the mutilations, as they were, the murders were kept secret by the state police. And uh, we don't know how many people were actually involved in this, but um, I know there are at least four. And... Uh, and that case has been completely closed. The documents have been sealed. Hmm. Well, how about all the thousands of kids uh, that were reported disappearing uh, from the upper Westchester County area in the mid to late 80s? I seem to recall uh, some pretty astounding numbers that were floated around at the time. Did you ever uh, do any work looking into uh, the high amount of uh, disappearance cases? I've heard of um, a lot of kids disappearing, a lot of people disappearing, um, but I really didn't look too far into it. Um, um, it, it interests me, and um, at that time, Peter Gersten was quite interested in what was going on there. And, you know, back in 1984, we had a, uh, a get-together, 
a sort of town meeting in Brewster at the Henry Wells Middle School in regards to the UFO activity and the paranormal activity taking place in the Hudson Valley. I should interrupt that Peter Gersten is a lawyer from New York. He now lives in Arizona, and he was instrumental in getting loads of Freedom of Information documents from the government on UFOs. Yes, and, you know, at this uh, meeting... Um, you know, we had uh, over 1,500 people show up and 900 filled out reports that they had encounters. And I believe to this day it was the largest gathering of uh, a UFO sort of topic in, in history. And we had so many people show up that the auditorium at the school could not hold them. People were waiting outside and lined up outside. And... Uh, the main purpose was to collect reports from people who would not come forward and to educate the public uh, about the UFO experience. We had, you know, Bud Hopkins talking there, Larry Fawcett, um, Whitley Strieber came and gave a talk, and I gave a talk, and Alan Hynek was there, he gave a talk about UFOs, so the people were educated about the UFO phenomena, and they were more willing now to come forward and talk about their experiences, which they kept silent. Okay, well, looking further at this here, and we're kind of segueing away from the cattle mutilation stuff, I wanted to maybe look at this in perspective. There have been stories that you see less UFO-related activities, particularly here in the 21st century. And a lot of the stuff in your book, you're talking about the 80s and the 90s. So in recent years, what sort of stuff, what types of cases have you been seeing? I'm seeing more cases of close encounters, um, and many many of the people who have come forward to me um, claiming contact cases with some type of alien dimensional intelligence. Many of them have had UFO sightings back in the 80s. So these are people who originally started off with a UFO sighting and now are having these high strangeness cases. Many of the cases involve uh, what we would consider alien-like visitors uh, walking into bedrooms at night and taking people. And uh, the number of cases that have come forward since that time are, are, are actually astounding. One of the things I always like to see separated when you talk about encounters at night in your bed and you see this creature come to you or maybe you have an awareness of being taken aboard a spacecraft, how much of that is maybe sleep paralysis? Well, a certain percentage of it does involve sleep paralysis. And, um, but in many of the cases, there people are alert um, I even have a number of cases in which, you know, there were a husband and wife and they were both experienced sleep paralysis and they had the so-called same dream. Um, so, you know, there's really something interesting going on here and um, it involves um, many of the people who originally had a UFO encounter back in the 80s. We'll get into more of that in a moment. We have Phil Imbrogno. He's author of Files from the Edge. A reminder, you can find more of the things that we do at theparacast.com with a T-H-E, theparacast.com, where you can download hundreds of episodes of the show free of charge. We have a co-host, Christopher O'Brien, with us this week. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hi. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're in the final four segments of our time spent with Phil Imbrogno and only capturing the surface here. There's a lot more to cover. He's author of a book called Files from the Edge, a paranormal investigator's explorations into high strangeness. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Okay, Phil, a lot of people who get involved in exploring UFO research say, you know, it's E.T. is coming here to land. That's all it is. All this other stuff is mumbo-jumbo. We don't want to deal with it. <laughs> What's your response to them? Well, you know, people, you know, it, it, in the paranormal, whether it's involved the UFOs or ghosts, the ghost hunters are, say it's all ghosts. I mean, you know, the religious fanatics saying it's all demons and devils. The people who are involved with UFOs saying it's all aliens with a technology from another dimension. I believe that what we're seeing as the UFO phenomena is a, is a multifaceted phenomenon. There's not one answer for it. I think we're seeing many different things, many different types of phenomena and trying to put one label on it depending upon what you want to believe and uh, what you want this to represent to yourself. I think one of the, you know, the people who are involved with the paranormal that have the blinders on, so to speak, are the UFO investigators. And most of the people from MUFON and some of the other organizations, the smaller organizations, you know, they're out there looking for alien spacecraft. And uh, everything is an alien spacecraft to them. You know, there may be other explanations for the appearance of a lot of the things that we're seeing as UFOs, not just alien spacecraft. Even though I admit that a certain percentage of the sightings may be alien spacecraft, but I believe also that a certain percentage has a different origin, different uh a different explanation. So where is the line of demarcation? How do you separate E.T. from who knows what? Well, you can't, because most of the time you're taking the person who had the experience, their word. If the person is, you know, convinced that they saw an extraterrestrial spaceship, when they're telling you their story, they'll try to, to focus on that, that they had an E.T. encounter. If a person has religious beliefs, 
they're going to try to convince you in when they're relating their story to you that they had an encounter with an angelic entity or some type of, you know, supernatural being. If a person is really believes in ghosts and they're into all this ghost hunting and everything, their UFO experience to them might represent the manifestation of some type of, you know, ectoplasmic spirit. So it depends upon, you know, who you talk to and how they represent, how they relate the sighting to you. So you really have to go around that and just try to get the description and the information. And basically what you say is that really I don't care what you think you saw. I want to know exactly what you saw, not what you think you saw. But is it also possible that this phenomenon, whatever it might be, manifests itself in a way that the particular witness interprets it in a certain way so you don't know what the source is because they're seeing it through their eyes, their expectations, their experience? Oh, this is true. You know, if we're dealing with an intelligence, for example, that, you know, considers us, you know, second-rate, you know, uh, citizens of the universe, they may not want to represent themselves in their true form or true fashion, so uh, they will manifest uh, according to what the person wants to see. And when we talk about this, we get into the idea, once again, of the trickster and the aspect of uh, an, a dimensional entity that has been mentioned for over a thousand years or longer called the jinn, which means hidden, means they live in another dimension, they interact with humans, but they never represent their true nature to us. And you're writing a book on the jinn, too, that's coming out here soon, uh, if Actually, I remember. Coming out in March of 2011, it's called The Vengeful Jinn, and it takes the Islamic legends of the jinn with the Native American legends of the trickster, combining it with paranormal experiences of today and UFO experiences of today, and putting it all together, indicating that, you know, what we're seeing, these manifestations could be the result of dimensional beings. And these dimensional beings have been known since ancient times. They were called in the Arabic world jinn, which means hidden, which means they're hidden from our view. To me, back then, to people back then, it meant they were invisible. To me and people today, it means that they're in another dimension that we cannot see. Mm. Quite exciting. <laughs> now, let's go back in the past here when you first started investigating the subject. Was there a point where you said, you know what, it's not just E.T., it has to be more? Was it J. Allen Hynek talking about high strangeness or what? Because I remember in those years, late 70s, I interviewed Dr. Hynek, and this was maybe a couple of years before he died, and he was talking to me and hinting very broadly that there was more to UFOs than just E.T., where was your point of expansion, shall we say? Well, I think I, you know, in the 70s, I was more or less focused on the idea of ET and spaceships from another world. And, you know, uh, I have a background in astronomy as well as chemistry. So, you know, the idea of extraterrestrials fascinated me. The more I got involved with the UFO experience, the UFO investigations, the more I began to realize there was another element to this whole thing that involves something um, different than a nuts and bolts spaceship with uh, um, extraterrestrials on some type of scientific mission here. There was something else involved. And um, 
I think by uh, about 1984 or 5, um, I began to realize that um, extraterrestrial spaceships cannot account for the entire UFO experience. I had long conversations with Alan Hynek, and um, he was very conservative about what he would say in public. Uh, but he was totally convinced by about 1984 that um, these extraterrestrial spacecraft that everybody thinks they're seeing are actually something from a parallel reality, which he called. And he said something to me that was you know, kind of shocked me. And we all know, people who are involved in UFO investigation and the paranormal, that John Keel has been talking about dimensional beings since the 60s. And Alan Hynek was one of John Keel's biggest critics. But Alan Hynek said to me about two years before he passed over, he said, you know, I think John Keel was right about this whole thing. When I called John and told him that, John almost fell off in his chair. He said, you've got to be kidding me. He said that. I said, yeah, John. He said, you were right all along on this stuff. All right. So, so we're not ufologists. We're demonologists, I think, is how Keel would have put it. <laughs> well, you know, John had a lot of interesting comments about the UFO phenomena. He believed that, you know, a lot of this was dimensional in nature, but the UFO people, people who investigated just UFOs and were looking for spaceships, he called them, I think, what was one of his words, the, the lepers of the paranormal. <laughs> <laughs> they sure loved him because of that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they did. But he was he was he was a fascinating guy. He had some some stories that would either make you look at him and wonder and wonder, or he'd be rolling on the floor laughing. I mean, you you had a Bigfoot thing encounter in Thailand. Uh, you want to talk about that just briefly, and also uh, some of the strange uh, hairy humanoid reports that uh, cropped up in in you know within sight almost of one of the largest urban areas of the world. Uh, you would care to go into that just briefly? Yeah, I can go into it. Um, you know, I, I've I've had an interest in the paranormal since I was like who knows how young, and I used to read all the books about it and uh, get all the UFO magazines. And and in in the late '60s, I went into the military, and I was in the Vietnam War. And um, to make a long story short, um, I heard stories when I was in Thailand from Thailand about a large hairy creature that existed in uh, an area in northern Thailand. And uh, so, you know, I went out there to investigate. I mean, I used to travel all over the place there. I mean, I wouldn't do something like that now. But we'll look into the hairy creature things. in a moment, Phil. We're going to look at the hairy creature. We have Phil Imbrogno joining us this week. Co-host is Christopher O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors, have you been thinking about starting a website? Well, I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a world-famous leader in web hosting, and they make it easy for you to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and great selection of templates. Use the coupon code POWERCAST. Once again, use the coupon code POWERCAST and sign up at this special address, thepowercast.com slash gator. That's G-A-T-O-R, thepowercast.com slash gator. 
For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. As many people know, ever since President Nixon took us off the gold standard, the U.S. dollar has been devaluating. What people don't know, however, is how this directly affects your personal finances. Is there a way to prevent your portfolios from losing value? The answer to all of this is gold and silver. They've both maintained their purchasing power for 6,000 years. If you had had $100,000 in cash and $100,000 in gold and silver back in 1913 and kept them both until now, your cash would actually have the buying power of only $4,800, but your gold and silver would have the buying power of $3 million. The answer to protecting your assets is simple. Call me, John Ballman, today at 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Get all your questions answered before you your money is worth zero. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Take action today while we still accept paper dollars for gold. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. You worry, but only because you're paying attention. What's happening in the Gulf of Mexico illustrates an audacity toward nature. A similar audacity called GMO, or genetically modified organisms, means that the quality of commercially grown food may be compromised with our health in the balance. Now that summer's here, what better time to learn about the bounty that nature provides in wild edible food? Let author Linda Runyon show you the best-kept secret in plain sight, that food is everywhere you look. This summer, for the cost of a good meal or two out, you can literally starvation-proof yourself and your loved ones against any future craziness and put up tons of free food, too. Whatever experiment is being run on us, you can rest assured that Linda's 50 or so staple foods aren't involved. Our foods are their enemy. So go to ofthefield.com or call toll-free 1-888-51-EAT-FREE and take that first step. Make your oasis of food security and nutrition now. That's O-F-T-H-E-F-I-E-L-D.com or call 1-888-513-2837. Start now and make 2010 your year of independence. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legend audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. Ten years. A decade of talk. Great Talk Radio is here on the Genesis Communications Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com that's news at theparacast.com and don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com 
Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. We left you with a cliffhanger there. Phil Imbrogno is going to talk about a hairy creature he tried to chase down or learn more about during his service during the Vietnam War. We have co-host Christopher O'Brien with us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. So on our previous section, you left it open there. What did you find out about the hairy creature, Phil? Well, I journeyed up to an area called Pimai in northern Thailand. And um, I went into the village, and to the outskirts of the village, there are these ancient ruins that are like 18 or 1,600 years old. And uh, the villagers say that um, every night they bring flowers and food into the temple because the hairy man comes down from the hills with his family, and he takes the food. And they leave the food there because they don't want any problems because according to the stories 50 years prior to that time this was like in the 60s so 50 years prior to about 1968 the hairy man which is described as sort of like a bigfoot like creature what we would call sasquatch or bigfoot or yeti or the himalayas uh, came into the village and stole food and took two young girls and took them back took them out of the out in the forest and abducted them, and they were never seen again. Because of that incident, because of that story, of course, the villagers would tell their children, "Unless you're good, you know, the hairy man's going to come down and take you." So, the hairy man has gotten the reputation over the years in that village, sort of like the American boogeyman. But. I mean, I was spending the day exploring the temple, and it was fascinating with all the carvings and everything like that. And as nightfall came, it started to get dark. I was told I better leave the ruins at nightfall because the hairy man comes down. And, of course, this fascinated me. But, you know, I have to admit, you know, that walking through those uh, dark corridors at sunset, going around the corners, corner, I was expecting to see something. And I have to tell you, you know, I kind of like chickened out a little bit and kind of left. But as I was leaving out to the main entrance, I heard something heavy coming through the jungle walking. And I kind of retreated out because I really didn't know what I was dealing with. And I was alone. And I came to the beginning of the entrance to the old temple to the ruins, and a number of villagers were there, and they had flowers and they had food. And they were going to bring it into the main corridor. And I said, well, I want to see this thing. And they said, no, 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 you cannot see him because if you look at him, you, you will die. So they were bringing food. They told me I was crazy because I wanted to go in there with the flashlight and, and just try to see this thing pick up the food. And they wouldn't let me in. And I had to spend the night at the village. So I didn't want to upset any of the elders or any of their customs. I didn't want to get kicked out and into the jungle at night. So... They left the food, they came out, and they said he was in there. They saw a shadow, and they ran out, and they were very frightened. And we went back down to the village, which was about, oh, about a half a mile or so walk down the path. They put me up in a, a family's home. The, very, the Thai people are very friendly, by the way, They're very friendly to strangers. It's part of the, uh, the Buddhist religion. Most of the people in Thailand are Buddhist. And I stood in this home, and I could hear sounds coming from the ruins. And they didn't sound like animals, and they didn't sound human. They sounded something in between, and it sounded like there was about three of them. Anyway, this went on to about 4 o'clock in the morning. 
the next day, I said to the elders, I said, you know, I want to come back and spend the night at the temple, but I want to bring two of my friends. And first they were objecting and so on. They said, fine, but if you bring any weapons, you have to leave them there. You can't bring any weapons because if you harm one of the creatures, one of the hairy man's family, he'll take revenge on us. So I said, fine. So after, you know, going through a whole bunch of... After going through a whole bunch of, you know, stuff through the military, all this stuff you have to go through, you know, going around in circles and so on and so on, hurry up and do this and wait and so on, I finally talked two of my buddies into into coming back with me. And we made it up there. Uh, we had a few days off, and we made it up there. And, and as we're traveling through, you know, which back then was a, a jungle road into this village of Pimai, Today, it's a, it's a modern road, I hear. We had weapons on us, and uh, we came to the village and, you know, introduced ourselves, and the elders of the village and the shaman of the village made sure, the priest of the village made sure we laid our weapons down, and he only allowed us a flashlight and so on to go into the area. So we went into the area, and we camped outside on a terrace, and... We bought sleeping bags and, and so on and flashlights. And back then they only had the dry cells. You know, they didn't have alkaline cells back then, so we wanted to conserve the energy. All of a sudden, you know, about midnight or so, everything's quiet, and I hear a storm rolling in. And we sort of like move our sleeping bags back to the entrance where the terrace is, where the temple is. And all of a sudden it starts raining, and it's raining hard. And we hear something in the jungle walking towards us in the dark. And we're shining the light into the jungle, and there's nothing. And every time we shine the light into the jungle, the noise would stop. We turned the light off, it would start approaching us again. So one of the persons I was with, um, he was from Tennessee, and the other one was from West Virginia. So these were two wild, crazy guys. The rain started coming down so hard, and the thunder was going on so hard, and the flashlights all of a sudden were dying. And this is what I couldn't explain back then, that even though we had fresh batteries in there, we changed the batteries, the power was being drained. Today, we see this quite a bit in paranormal investigations. Electrical batteries and so on, and power supplies drain quite quickly in a paranormal area. So all of a sudden, I'm back into the, the, the temple area, and the guy from Tennessee, his name was Fussell, his last name, he, he's yelling. And standing next to him, he's staring at this large shape. From where I was, I could just see a silhouette. And the other person, Charlie, who's from West Virginia, he's looking at this shape also. And this thing looks at us, and it has, like, yellow eyes. Well, it seemed like it was a very, very long time, but it was a very short sighting. The guy from Tennessee, Fussell, was going, you know, what are you, what are you, what are you? And by the time we started making noise, this thing just jumps as if it was on a trampoline right back into the forest. But when it went into the jungle area, it didn't even make a noise like it was landing. It just almost floated down into it. And... Um, Fussell was walking up and down, up and down, acting like an orangutan. And I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm trying to get the thing out. Maybe it'll come out if I act like an ape. He thought it was a big, giant ape. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, he's going, you know, acting like an orangutan, walking up and down the terrace. 
And in the woods, we see three pairs of eyes. So, you know, six yellow areas, three pairs of eyes. And Charlie's getting upset. He's yelling at me, why did we leave our guns? I'll tell you what, before we find out what happened next, Phil Imbrogno joining us, author of Files from the Edge. We're talking now about a close encounter with strange creatures. Who knows? Our co-host, Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the Earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Global meltdowns, massive unemployment, endless wars, a new currency crisis, financially and morally bankrupt. A great and terrible storm is approaching. So what's the best way to get ready? To get prepared for hard times ahead. Introducing Off the Grid News, a weekly newsletter for independent patriots who want practical advice on how to survive and prosper in an increasingly dangerous world. It's the best way to get a black belt in emergency preparedness, survival skills, and off-the-grid living. Off the Grid News is fiercely independent, all about self-reliance and packed with helpful information on survival gardening, food preparation, alternative energy, herbal medicines, privacy and security, as well as God, gold, and guns, with absolutely no apologies. And the best part? This $100 a year service is now free of charge for our listeners. That's right, free for our listeners who sign up at offthegridnews.com. That's offthegridnews.com. You can sign up for free at offthegridnews.com. Offthegridnews.com. Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. My name is Stan, and I'm 68 years old, and I live in Vermont. In the spring of 2003, I started to have problems with my heart. It felt like my heart was pounding. It made me feel breathless. I tried many, many different things to try to get some help for myself. Nothing did anything. Heart and Body Extract is very powerful, very effective, and works quickly. I saw one of Sharon's ads and ordered Heart and Body Extract. I noticed a difference quickly, within days. The episodes became less frequent, and by a month, had completely vanished. Usually, you find a 30-day or 60-day guarantee. Heart and Body Extract comes with a lifetime 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. Call 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. 
Attention, an important product from HempUSA.org, Microplant Powder, will change your life by removing all types of positive toxins, such as heavy metals, parasites, bacteria, viruses, and fungus from the digestive tract and stomach wall so you can absorb nutrients. Microplant Powder is 89% silica and packed with a negative charge that attracts positive toxins from the blood, organs, spine, and brain. This product has the ability to rebuild cartilage and bone, which allows synovial fluid to return to the joints. Silica is a precursor to calcium, meaning the body turns silica into calcium and is great for the heart. There is no better time than now to have microplant powder on your shelf or in your storage shelter. And with an unlimited shelf life, you can store it anywhere. Call 908-691-2608 or visit hempusa.org. It's a great way to change your life. So call 908-691-2608 or visit us at hempusa.org today. Tired of searching for great talk radio? There's a a wide range of stuff on here. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. We have Phil Imbrogno with us, stuck (laughs) in Southeast Asia, seeing weird creatures, what? Co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Powercast. So what happens next? You left your weapons behind? You dared to do well, that? Well, they were in the village with the elders because the elders knew that these guys would have shot the thing. Aha, uh-huh. uh-huh, this, right. This, this creature was sacred to them. It was a spirit to them. They considered it a spirit who came into our world. Don't shoot my Bigfoot. Well, that's sort of it. You know, over there, they consider these creatures to be sacred animals. They were like spirits, and you don't, you don't mess around with them. Anyway, it's pouring rain. You have to imagine it. The lightning is flashing all over the place, and it's pouring raining. I mean, the rain is coming down really, really, really hard. And this guy, he's just marching up and down and making sounds like a monkey, trying to get these things out of the forest again because he wanted to get a better look at them. And we see... Three pairs of yellow eyes in the forest. So Charlie, the guy from West Virginia, is yelling at me, why do we leave our weapons on? These things are going to get it. He picks up a big stone and throws it into the woods. And it, like, hits something that sounded like a, a dense body or something, a thump. As he did that, the lights just, the eyes just disappeared. And uh, we did not hear anything for the rest of the night. Now, the next day, when we went back down to the village and told the elders what we saw, the elders were quite upset that uh, this happened to us. And he questioned both Charlie and myself, and, and Fussell looked at this creature right in the face. He said it was about eight feet tall. It had red hair all over its body. And Fussell was about six foot two. So this thing dwarfed him. I just saw the outline of a dark shape. And he said it had yellow eyes. Charlie also looked in its eyes, but I really didn't. The elder of the village told him that the story is if you look at this creature directly in your eyes, you will die within six months. Do you know, we left the village and both Charlie and Fussell died within six months from combat wounds. But I was fine. Did you check for any physical evidence there at the site? Were there any yes, footprints? Any- Couldn't find anything. Couldn't find anything. So about a month after that incident, I had a, a, an R&R, 
rest and relaxation, and I went to Bangkok. And I stopped at Bangkok University, and I talked to a professor there. I got his name in the book. Couldn't even pronounce it, a long Thai name. And um, I told him about our sighting up in the PMI ruins, and he said that um, it was possible that we had an encounter with an orangutan. I said, wait a minute. I thought you could, orangutans are not in common. Not a nice one. He said, at, at, at one time, he said orangutans were in Thailand, but they became extinct. But nobody knows for sure there may be some surviving families of orangutans in the jungle. I told him, well, I said, this thing was, you know, dwarfed. Uh, my friend Fossil, who was six foot two, I think was, must have been about eight feet tall. He started laughing and saying, well, maybe the lightning and the rain kind of like gave the illusion that it was so big and so on and so on. And he started talking about Gigantopus, the ancestor of the orangutan, which was eight foot tall, that was known to live in that area because fossils were found. But he laughed and didn't think that any of them were alive today. And, uh, and sort of like, he kind of like said that, well, maybe you probably did encounter some type of ape or something and the lightning just made everything look bigger. Didn't really take the story seriously. Like, thanked him and, you know, left the university and went on with my vacation in Thailand. And no government agents came to you and said, Phil, don't do that? No. Nobody, nobody would. Today, for example, I did some research on that area, and the Pimai Ruins are now a, 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 a country park. Uh, it's a country site. People visit there all the time. The small village now has grown to almost like, almost city proportion. They even have a McDonald's there. And the road that was once a dirt road leading up to the, the small village, which was only about eight buildings, is now a paved road with traffic, bus traffic going back and forth so people can visit the ruins. And, uh, and I wonder about, you know, the story of the hairy man. I mean, you know, has it just become legend there? Of course, nothing has been spotted since the 1970s. Thing. Maybe they fled because they didn't like all the progress and all the machines and everything. Or well, I'm sure, I'm sure that's what you know. a lot of the local uh -huh. residents or the old-timers believe, that the hairy man just left and went back to his world. Well, uh, how about the hairy man in the, uh, the, the Hudson Valley region? I was, I'm sure some of our listeners would be uh, surprised to learn that... Uh, that Bigfoot is apparently alive and well in the Hudson uh, Valley region. Uh, there's quite a number of, of sightings, well, a number of them that you mentioned in Files from the Edge. Uh, what, what is your feeling about, uh, about that? You know what? Well, I don't know. If this is a creature that's left over from the Ice Age or walking around, it's walking around in some of the more crowded areas. It's got to be seen or shot by somebody. For example, there are Bigfoot sightings over in the Catskills, and uh, there are Bigfoot sightings in Connecticut. There are Bigfoot sightings in Rhode Island. There are Bigfoot sightings in pale places of southern New York. So, for example, and they go back to the 1800s. I found stories in newspapers um, of Bigfoot sightings that date back to the 1880s in Connecticut, in Winstead. Back then they called these creatures the wild men of the forest. But today... They're Bigfoot sightings. So if these things are like physical creatures as we what we would consider physical creatures, something left over from the Ice Age, they're seen for a period of time. They disappear. 
And where do they go? Perhaps they are some type of dimensional creatures that actually come through portals by accident or intention. I don't know. Are well, you know, they could also just be hiding in the woods. I mean, we don't have the capability of exploring every single space, every single yeah, location. The areas up in Connecticut where this thing was spotted since the 1885s, it's pretty well built up in that area, and yeah, there are really lots developed. of hunters, and people are going, walking through the woods all the time, and you really can't hide something that big. Uh, well, in underground. Area. Um, they, do, so, they do tend to be spotted in areas where there's underground cavern systems. Well, that's true, too, and if they're living underground, who knows? A lot of paranormal phenomena, especially creature sightings, take place where there are underground caverns. Now, one of the things I noticed in your book, and I guess this would be the sole point of disappointment, no photographs. That was the publisher's uh, idea. Okay, because I remember there's this one chapter where you actually see something using a special, now outmoded Kodak film Correct. to check specific images in a specific portion of the visible spectrum. Okay. And unfortunately, no picture of it didn't show up in the yes, book. Yes, well, there, were, there was a picture, and the uh, publisher decided that the reproduction of these pictures would be too expensive, and they decided to focus on the book being the files. And actually, um, the, I have the same publisher as Stan Romanek, and somebody made a comment about his book, Messages, where are the pictures, missing pictures. He may have them, except the publisher really doesn't want to publish them because now they're looking for all super high resolution stuff because they're making these copies that really don't reproduce well. And uh, this is why the pictures were taken out. I had like 25 images of paranormal stuff that had either been sent to me or that I had photographed in my research. And that was all kept out on, on, on by suggestion of the publisher because they felt it wouldn't reproduce properly. So if they kept out a few, they kept out all the pictures. Yeah, really, but there are some really good graphs in the back uh, where you actually look through your database for interesting correlations and patterns. And I do, uh, I do want to remind our listeners that this book is is uh, is very. I think very invaluable for, for a, a person that's interested in going out in the field and how to actually analyze your data. I was very impressed with some of the uh, analytical work that you've done with your database. We'll get into yeah. more of that in a moment about his analysis, and we'll try to bring things to a conclusion of one sort or another in our next section. We have Philip Imbrogno, author of Files from the Edge. The co-host is Christopher O'Brien, who has also spent a lot of time in the field investigating paranormal events. I am right now not expecting a paranormal event anytime soon. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Paracast. <laughs> Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now 
Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. You've seen our SinoFresh banner on the GCN website, yet your sinusitis is still a problem. Are you waiting for your sinusitis to go away by itself? Are you waiting for a SinoFresh discount? Okay, here it comes. But first, the facts. 67 other products merely treat symptoms and not the cause of sinus problems. And 37 million Americans suffer from sinus distress just like you. But now many are finding relief with the only patent-protected homeopathic nasal product that antiseptically eliminates the known causes of sinusitis. SinoFresh. Now, Here's your limited-time discount offer to use SinoFresh. Call 888-906-3636 right now for $2 off per bottle when you mention GCN. That's it. Just call 888-906-3636 and mention GCN for a $2 discount. But hurry, this offer is only for the first 1,000 customers. Call 888-906-3636. 888-906-3636. Call right now for $2 off per bottle. Mention GCN. Buy SinoFresh.com. It works. No one likes foreclosure. You won't say, think, or even consider foreclosure with ZeroDebtGuaranteed.com. Why? Because ZeroDebtGuaranteed.com guarantees to stop your foreclosure for at least two years with no payments, no bankruptcy, and no negotiating. Thinking loan modification? That still keeps you in default. Zero Debt in 90 Days is the only proven system that keeps you in your house for as long as you want to stay, while making it possible to even get clear title to your house. No, we are not investors, bankers, attorneys, or real estate agents. We are a group of people just like you that are sick and tired of the housing crash, and we've helped thousands avoid foreclosure since 1993. Please visit our website today, ZeroDebtGuaranteed.com, or call to see how we can help save you tens of thousands of dollars and save your home. Call 800-477-9256, 800-477-9256. That's 800-477-9256, or visit ZeroDebtGuaranteed.com. Guaranteed to stop foreclosure. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Next. 
We have Phil Imbrogno, author of Files from the Edge, a paranormal investigator's explorations into high strangeness. And these things are quite strange. We have co-host Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Powercast. This is the last section. We don't have a lot of time, Phil. But maybe some advice for investigators who want to learn more. What can we do to eventually, if possible, prove any of this beyond just photographs that are difficult to reproduce and all the case histories? How can we prove completely, once and for all, what's going on? Well, we're not going to be able to because um, individually we don't have the resources and we don't have the time to do this. You have to remember that... 90, 99% of the paranormal investigators out there are doing it in their spare time. They all have real jobs. And uh, so the resources are greatly limited. I would say that what's needed is that a project has to be established. You take a number of people in the field of science that are you know, involved with paranormal research, UFO research, and you give them a big budget. And, of course, you have to put them on a salary and say, this is your task, fellas. You have five years to study this whole thing and analyze everything, and you have, you know, almost unlimited resources. And after five years, you publish a paper or, you know, a big book on your findings. And you're to devote, you know, your full time to this and your expertise from your field. So you get a number of different people in different fields to work on it. And after five years, you produce your findings. I think if that's done, we will see a solution to this. But that's not going to be done because most of the researchers out there don't work together. They almost work in con conflict. They conflict with each other. Egos are on the line and so on, and nobody really gets along. I mean, I don't even speak at UFO conferences anymore, even though I've been invited over and over again, because a couple of times I've been out to a conference, I've been accused of being a government plant, a government agent. And you have all of this paranoia going on, and people saying, well, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right. Nobody's right, fellas, people out there, nobody's right. Nobody has a handle on this. Each investigator, each researcher is putting up pieces of information, and they have one piece of a giant picture puzzle. And they're trying to find out what the picture represents by looking at one piece. Until everybody gets together and puts all their pieces together, we're not going to find out what, this, what all of yeah. this represents. Here, here. A concerted uh, team effort is the only way that we're going to move this whole shoot and match forward and, and that's the only possible way that it could be moved forward I've been saying this for years myself and the one of the reasons why my database is available to anybody who's interested enough to uh, go through it is that I'm just hoping that somebody's gonna find something in there that that might be a piece of their particular puzzle which might give them some insight into their particular investigative work and I do uh, absolutely agree with you 110% uh, on that Phil the only way we're going to get through this and get any closer to any sort of explanation or gain uh, better quality data is if we work together the thing I wanted to also point out here is that we do have lots of information that isn't even being made available. We did an episode a while back, Chris and I, with another guest, talking about this huge database that's available in separate file form, old-fashioned files from APRO, 
an old-time UFO investigative body under lock and key, multiple file cabinets, and the people who have these file cabinets have done nothing. I know I asked our listeners if they'd be willing to participate in a petition to try to get a change, but unfortunately people aren't interested. So unfortunate. Yes, well, you know, I remember uh, the APRO files, and there's quite a bit of my information in there that's now under lock and key also. You know, so, and Alan Hynek insisted that... Uh, uh, that we contribute uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages um, to that particular file. And now it seems inaccessible. I wanted to ask you, the Center for UFO Studies, the organization that Hynek had founded, is that still active anymore? I don't believe it is. I think it's, uh, it's more or less closed its doors, primarily because of uh, you know, financial means and, I guess, interest, too. But uh, I, I saw it falling apart after Alan, Alan Hynek separated from it. Well, I think that's the other issue that we're concerned about here. How many organizations are there left? We have MUFON, but they're primarily an ET-based organization, although they get into other subjects. And lately they've had a few teething pains along the way. Where else do you go? Well, you don't. There are individual investigators, individual researchers that you know are well known in particular areas in which who are collecting the information. But you have to remember, like uh, there are about a thousand, and that's probably a conservative method of little local organizations of paranormal UFO researchers in little particular areas. So they're out there. They're all of these little groups, and some of them are. Are, are way out there in left field. Boy, let me tell you. I think some of the organizations that are devoted to disclosure, we have a lot of well-meaning people doing that and other people who are kind of wacky, to put it mildly. What do you well, think of that, Whenever you get though? something like this, you're going to have, whenever you get something like this, you're going to have, you know, all, all wacky people coming out of the woodwork. For example, during, you know, the Hudson Valley case, uh, the publication of Night Siege, in Night Siege, we use real people's names, their real jobs and everything. We got permission to do this because people wanted to stand by what they saw. The downside of that, since their names were published in where they, you know, the town they lived in and where they saw their sighting, many of these people were confronted and bothered by UFO wacko people that would come to their doors at all hours of the day and week and knock on their door and want to talk about their encounters with the aliens. And the wit some of the witnesses called me and said, you know, do you know so-and-so? He seemed kind of strange. I said, well, there are a lot of strange people out there. Is that why, to put the long and short of it, is that why in most cases in your new book you do not have real names? That's right. And, and, and... Many of the people who were like, you know, pillars in the community, good witnesses who came forward that, you know, really established that credibility. These people were hounded by what I would call the UFO cultist nuts. And, uh, and I, I have second thoughts, you know, about even if a person says you may use my name and my town location, I still advise against it because of the people that are actually out there monitoring this that think they have to get involved. Unfortunate, unfortunate. The book is called Files from the Edge by Philip J. Ambrogno, subtitled A Paranormal Investigator's Explorations into High Strangeness. Phil, we have about a minute left. Can you tell our listeners where to get a hold of you, if any place, and how to get a copy of the book? 
Well, the book's in any bookstore. I mean, the best place to get it's on Amazon, of course, and um, they can call the publisher. They have a special deal on it now, 1-800-THE-MOON. And uh, I can be reached at email. I don't have a website. Everybody's telling me, Phil, you got to get a website. Email is bel1313 at yahoo.com. And I'm always open to people's experiences because um, I'm still collecting reports and trying to analyze and make some sense of this whole thing. Give that address out again a little bit slower so people can write it down. It's a bell with one L, 1313 at yahoo.com. And hopefully there will be no spam there because I wouldn't want to see you inundated with a lot of junk mail. Chris O'Brien, tell our listeners where they can find more of all the things that you work on. Well, I do have a website. It's called Our Strange Planet, O-U-R Strange Planet. It is a strange planet we live on. It's OurStrangePlanet.com. And uh, my latest book, Stalking the Tricksters, of course, is available at Amazon, or you can get an autographed copy on my site. And uh, I want to thank Phil for coming on the show. This has been a real pleasure for me. Uh, Phil, you're a real... Uh, inspiration. Uh, Night Siege uh, was very instrumental in my thinking uh, early on as an investigator. Had my first uh, multi uh, UFO sighting up in New Paltz in '79. So, always had uh, very uh, inch, uh, real good interest in your work, and I really appreciate all, all that you've done over the years. Thank you. Well, thank you, Chris, for coming from you. That's uh, a considerable compliment. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for joining us this week on the Paracast. Okay, so long. Thanks, Gene. The Paracast is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. Paracast.